Our memory verse is Mark 12, 30. Everybody see it up on the screen? Okay, everybody loves a little bit of a competition, right? We all love competition. So we're going to let the ladies go first, and then we're going to let the guys go after that. Okay, put it on the screen one more second. Let's give them just a few more seconds. And the ladies will represent, the ladies will represent Clemson, and the guys will represent Coastal Carolina University. Okay, is that a fair? Okay, the ladies will represent the Steelers. Oh, heaven forbid. <laughs> Blasphemy, you say. Okay, Mark 12, 30. Ladies, go. Jesus said the most... Y'all suck. Y'all just... <laughs> Tell her. Okay, men, let's show them how to do it. Ready, men? Mark 12, 30, go. Jesus said the most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is the men win it. Woo! Go, men. We all need to ride home today, though. We're going to have to carpool to get home. Okay, um, so I want to show you the sermons we've already gone over. The ten are this, God, family, getting your money management, your time management. And so we're going to talk about friendship today, but I need you to get it in balance, okay? Your friends can't come before God. Uh, your friends can't come. you you got to manage your money well because some of you have uh, imbalance in your finances because of your friends. So you got to get everything in order, okay? But we are going to talk about friendship. So today in part 11, we're going to talk about faith for friends. Faith for friends. God does not just give us faith for our own dreams to come to pass. He does not just give us the faith we need to pray for our own miracle. He doesn't give us the faith we need to just speak life into our own destiny. No, he sends friends our way who need to borrow some of our faith. Uh, people who are overwhelmed in life, they're dealing with a sickness, they're going through a divorce. And if you've known them for a while, you know they used to be strong. They used to believe, they used to be passionate about life, but now they're weak and they're discouraged. The way that they're going to fulfill their destiny is through a friend with faith. We have to learn to let people borrow the faith that God's given us. This comes from Mark chapter 2. Uh, there was a paralyzed man who had no faith whatsoever, none at all, but he had four friends who let them borrow some of his faith. It says this in Mark 2, 2 through 11. Jesus was preaching at a home and there were so many people there was no room left, not even outside. But four men arrived carrying, I need you to see they were carrying their friend, carrying a paralyzed man, but they could not get the man to Jesus, so they made a hole in the roof and they let the man down. When Jesus saw, not the paralyzed man's faith, when he saw the faith of his friends, he said to the paralyzed man, take up your mat and go. Here's what they were saying. You may not believe that you can be healed, but we believe that Jesus can heal you. You may not have any faith for yourself, but you can borrow some of our faith in order to get you to Jesus and get your miracle. Um, we all have paralyzed people that God brings us. They're, they're paralyzed from, from their past. They're paralyzed from an addiction. They're paralyzed from whatever they're going through at work. And God has given us the faith, listen, to be able to pick them up and carry them to their divine destiny. 
to be able to pick them up and carry them to their miracle, carry them to Jesus. Now, there were plenty of excuses these friends could have had, right? It's hot outside. It's a long way. Our shoulders hurt from carrying you. You know, it's not like you lost weight since you've been paralyzed. You know, there's been no ex- You know, you're getting... It's diff- now, modern-day excuses would be this. Uh, there's football on today, so I can't pick you up and bring you to church. I was out late the night before. I got a lot going on in my own life. But nowhere in the Bible can I really find where God says we're supposed to use our faith for our own dreams to come to pass. It's always a sowing and reaping thing, you know? When we use our faith for somebody else, then God gives us what we need to fulfill the destiny for for ourselves. Are you with me? So God has entrusted us with faith for our friends to be able to fulfill their destiny. Jesus saw no faith in the paralyzed man, but he saw it in his friends. That means I could actually have the faith that can help you walk again. That means I could be carry around the faith that can help you love again. I can carry around the faith that can help you forgive your enemy one more time. I can have the faith that can help you get to where you need to be in life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so I want to tell you a true story, then I'll get into my three points. There was this African-American teenager. He he was raised by a single mom. Uh, He's living in a rough neighborhood in California. Drugs, crime, uh, shootings, that was all just normal. Uh, He was always looking over his shoulder, and he told how his only dream was just to survive. That's all he wanted to do. But at 16 years old, his fears came to pass, and he was shot in a drive-by shooting. It's the middle of the night. He's laying on the street. The ambulance finally showed up. The policemen are there. He thinks, this is it. I'm about to die. While they were rendering first aid, the policeman lays on the ground next to him and starts yelling in his ear things like, don't you die. You have a future. God's going to use you. You're going to do great things. The teenager later told him he thought he was hallucinating the whole time. What I love about this is the policeman had no idea if it was the kid's fault or not. In other words, he didn't know if he started the shooting, if it was, you know, someone was retaliating against something he did. He didn't care what happened. When the kid couldn't fight for himself, the policeman decided, I'm going to fight for you. When the kid had no faith of his own, the policeman thought, I got some faith that you can borrow. By the grace of God, at 16 years old, the boy survived. His name, and here's a picture of him, is Teray Roberts. Now, you might not know him on this side of the, the, of the United States, but in California, he pastors one of the largest churches in California. He's a three-time best-selling author, entrepreneur. His wife is Sarah Jakes, T.D. Jakes' daughter. 20 years later, and here's what makes the story so great. 20 years goes by, 20 years after the shooting. The policeman's retired, and he's going through such a difficult time in life, he was contemplating suicide. At one time he had faith, plenty of it to give away, now he has no faith. He decides he's going to try one more day just to see if God has a plan for him. So he decides to go to church that Sunday. Of all the churches in all of California he could walk into, he walks into Teray Roberts Church looking for a sign from God, and he sees on the pulpit the kid that was involved in the drive-by shooting 20 years before. And now that kid was giving the policeman back the faith that he borrowed from him 20 years before. He ended up joining the church and they serve God together today. True story. 2 Corinthians 1 4 says this, God brings us alongside someone who's going through hard times so we can be there for them just as God was there for us. I, I've told you the story and I'm not going to go into detail, but you know, many, many years ago, I, I stepped out of ministry and I was done with church and I, you know, hated Christians and all that stuff. And, um, 
So I went to a nightclub to get a job because that's where pastors go to get jobs whenever they're not preaching. <laughs> and uh, the nightclub owner, I'd known him for years. It's Mark, the one that played the piano a few weeks ago when I wasn't here. And I said, man, my life's over. I'm done. I need a job. And he said, uh, why don't you just go you know, start a church? And I said, uh, I'm not, I can't do that. I'm not good at that. Whatever. He said, no, no, you'd be great. I said, Mark, you don't understand. I've been through a lot and all these things happened. He said, if you'll go start a church, I'll come and I'll play the piano for you and do all the music. And for one year straight, that's what he did. You know what's so interesting? None of you are here today because of the faith of a pastor. None of you are here today because of the faith of a man who reads the Bible every single day. None of you are here because of the faith of a man who loves to preach the Word of God. You're all here because of the faith that a nightclub owner let me use for one year. If he has enough faith, to get me here, just imagine what's inside of you and the people that God's put in your life and what you could do for them, okay? So I have three points for you today on how we have faith for our friends. Point number one is this. They all start with the same letter. Point number one is love. Love. First Corinthians 13 is not just for marriages. One through seven says this. If I speak <clears throat> with tongues of angels, <clears throat> if I have gift of prophecy, man, that's, that's really, really amazing, by the way. Possess all knowledge. Brilliant. If I can move mountains, even better. But if I don't love, I have nothing. Now, let me just stop. There's a lot of people that they would rather show off their gift than show off their love. They care more about being seen and heard than they do the people that they're actually trying to serve. I can't even tell you. You know, I walk around church and talk to y'all beforehand. And sometimes I like doing it. Sometimes I don't do it. But I do it because I have to. And so um, I'm walking around. Because people will stop me that are visiting. And they'll just tell me all their gifts. Well, I'm a singer. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm an author. And they'll hand me a card. If you need me to speak one Sunday, here you go. If you need me to sing, here's, here's how good I am. I don't give a care about your talent. I want to know, do you love these people? A few weeks ago, there was a weirdo that came to church. If you're here today, I hope that you were in the first service. But anyway, and um, he was trying to prophesy to people over in the fellowship hall. He was visiting for the first time. And I walked there. I said, man, I said, you can't do that. He said, no, no, I can say what I want. I said, no, 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 you can't. He said, well, if you knew what I was saying, you wouldn't tell me to stop. I said, I don't care what you're saying. I don't care about your gift. Your pr I don't care. I want to know. I don't even, do you love these people? You think I'm going to give you influence over my friends because you're talented? I want to know if you care about these people or not. Okay, you with me? So it goes on to say this. It says love is kind and that's me and thoughtful. Love does not brag. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Now, this is the perfect friend, by the way. Love is not easily offended. Love quietly covers all things. And love's always ready to believe the very best. So far, are you a pretty good friend? Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. You know the story of Jim Baker and PTL? If you're, if you're younger than I am, you might not know, but he had the, probably the largest ministry in the world back in the 80s and 90s, and he started PTL, praise the Lord, and, um, and he had an had a, had a, a amusement park. I mean, everything. It was the multi, 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 multi-million dollar ministry. He was doing so many good things, but he also made many, many, many mistakes. Of some of his mistakes, uh, he had 24 federal indictments against him. Jim Baker ended up going to prison. His job in the penitentiary was cleaning the toilets. He told how at the lowest point of his entire life, he's cleaning the toilets. He, he had admitted his faults. He wrote a book called I Was Wrong that became a bestseller. Uh, but his family left him. Everybody walked away from him. He didn't think that anybody cared. One day he's cleaning the toilets in prison. And the prison guard comes up to him and says, you have a visitor. He said, it's not visiting hours and nobody visits me anyway. And they said, we made an exception for this particular person. 
So they put Jim Baker in a holding cell. He was filthy, he smelled like urine. And he told how he just barely looked up and saw the nicest pair of black shoes walking toward him. He looked up even further and it was an older gentleman with his arms held open wide. When he came to the cell, he realized it was Billy Graham. Jim Baker stood up, he said, no, 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 you can't touch me, I'm filthy. Billy Graham never stopped, he gave him a big bear hug. He whispered in his ear, I wanted to let you know I care about you and you're going to get through this. Franklin Graham, whenever Jim was finally released, Franklin, who was Billy Graham's son, called Jim and said, we want to rent you a house and get you a car to drive till you get back on your feet. Jim Baker said, you can't do that. I have too much negative baggage in my past. You can't be associated with somebody like me. Your ministry will be criticized. Franklin said, Jim, you were our friend before you went to prison, and you're our friend after you've been to prison. The very first Sunday that Jim was out, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, called him and said, we want you to attend church with us and our family this Sunday. We'll send a limo to come and pick you up. When Jim Baker arrived, there were special security ushers assigned to escort him to his seat. He thought they were going to send him to the very back so no one would see him. They walked him all the way down to the very front row. They sat him down in between two empty seats. Jim Baker thought, well, I guess that's for security, for them to watch me because of the things I've done. But the security walked away. He thought, I wonder who's going to sit in these two seats. All of a sudden, the music started. Everybody stood up to sing. And out of the side door, stage left, walks Billy Graham and Ruth Graham. They greet the whole congregation, thousands and thousands of people. And then in front of everybody, they walk down and sit right next to Jim Baker, one on one side one on the other side. They were saying, I'm your friend in the good times and I'm your friend in the bad times. I'm your friend when the whole world loves you and I'm your friend when the whole world hates you. I'm your friend when you've done everything right and I'm your friend when you've done everything wrong. Galatians 6.1 says, any friend who is overtaken in sin, you who are spiritual should gently restore him. You know, whenever we show love, we're not approving of what they did. We're not saying it's right that you act this way. It's right that this happened. All we're doing is trying to show them the same mercy that we want God to show us if our sins were to be exposed to the world. That's all we're doing. Um, our future is directly connected to how well we love our friends. Not how well you love the people in Uganda that you never see anywhere. I almost said Wakanda forever. Uh, it's not the people you know that live in the it's, the... it's the people that God's put in your life. Let me prove to you it's the people God's put in your life. Proverbs 11 25 says this, be generous and you'll be prosperous. Help others and you will be helped. Ecclesiastes 11 2, invest what you have in others and you'll make a profit. You'd think it would say if you want a profit, invest in yourself. It says you invest in others. Matthew 7 12, do for others what you want them to do for you. Genesis 12 2, I'll bless you in abundance and here's why. So you can be a blessing to other people. Your future is connected to how you treat the people that God's put in your life. You think you can just do whatever you want to do to them. It's not, there's, there, there, we reap what we sow, right? So I have so many great friends, and one of them is Jason Potter. He was in the first service, and uh, we're, we're best friends, and if we ever need each other, we're there in a heartbeat for each other. Um, but we love each other enough to not hang out with each other because we both know how busy we are, so we're not needy. If he needs me, I'm there. If I need him, he's there. But our thing is, hey, do you have any time today? 
yeah, I do. What do you want to do? I want to do nothing. I want to sit at home with my family. Me too. I love you. I love you too. Like that's our, that's our thing. We know we, 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 we just, but what we can do is we buy things for each other. That's just a fun thing we do. So a few weeks, uh, no, about a year ago, um, Jason was in church and I saw his shoes and I said, man, I like those shoes. And he said, oh, you do? I said, yeah, I like them. The next week he brought me a brand new pair of the exact same shoes for myself. A few months went by and he was in church and he walked by and said, man, you smell really good. Now, we're incredibly manly friends. I just want you to know we drink beer and we shoot guns together, okay? But I said, you smell good. And he said, oh, thanks. The next week he brought me a, was a $400 bottle of cologne that he, I know, that one of my kids ended up taking it. But anyway, and um, then at the wedding, at Bruno and Ricky's wedding, he was wearing this nice new suit. And the suit had elastic in the pants. You know, like when you were five years old, your pants had elastic? That's coming back in style. I said, I like that suit. A few days ago, he called me. He said, come by my office. I got something for you. $500 suit just sitting there right there for me is a gift. I keep telling him I like his Tesla, but I think he's kind of greedy. But anyway, and so um, would you like to have a friend like that? Then you need to be a friend like that because you attract what you are. If you think that all the blessings God's given you are for you, you're not treating your friends the way God called you to, okay? Job 42.10, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. Here's what happened. He spent 42 chapters, by the way, praying for himself. 42 chapters, poor old me. 42 chapters, here's my problem. Four old cha 40 chapters, why is this happening to me? And then all of a sudden, the last chapter of Job, he prays for his friends and everything changes. That tells me that we are our increase is linked to the people God's put in our life. Okay, point number two is this, loyal. Loyal. Proverbs 20, verse 5, many people claim to be loyal, but a faithful friend who can find them. A loyal friend has your back uh, when the whole world turns their back against you. A loyal friend won't give up on you even when you feel like giving up on yourself. A loyal friend will stop other people from speaking negatively about you when you're not around. A loyal friend will stand by you when everybody walks away. There were two best friends in the Bible, Jonathan and David. And before I tell you the story, I need you to know that Jonathan's dad was King Saul. And King Saul was an evil king at the time trying to kill David, who was Jonathan's best friend. Are you with me? So, the, so King Saul, bad guy. Jonathan is his son. David is Jonathan's best friend. So Jonathan's got to choose Am I going to be loyal to the person doing the wrong thing or am I going to be loyal to the person doing the right thing? You know, what, what am I going to do? So it says in uh, 1 Samuel 20 verse 8, David said, We made a promise to the Lord we'd always be loyal friends. If I've done anything wrong, just kill me yourself. That sounds, that's, that's a very unusual friendship, but okay. Don't hand me over to your father. Don't worry, Jonathan said. If I find out that my father wants to kill you, I will let you know. I pray that the Lord will bless you you. Verse 17, Jonathan loved David as he did himself, and they promised they would always be loyal friends. Now, before I go on, I, I always, every time I read about David and Jonathan, I always think this. I don't know if you ever had this thought, but it's a really, really uh, important thought to me, and that is this. If Saul succeeds at killing David, then Jonathan gets to be king. Have you ever thought about that when it comes to Jonathan and David? If Saul is successful at killing David, Guess who gets the throne when Saul dies? His son, Jonathan. So not only is Jonathan being loyal to David, who's doing the right thing, but he's also turning away the greatest promotion he could ever have. Do you know some people, they'll smile at your face and they'll stab you in the back for 
I mean, they'll smile at you at work, but if a promotion's up for, for someone, they will tell the boss everything bad about you just so you don't get it. Has that ever happened to any of y'all? Okay, let me finish reading. So, first scene of 23, 15 through 18. David was afraid because Saul had come to the area to kill him, but Jonathan went to his friend and encouraged him. Don't be afraid, Jonathan said. My father Saul will never get his hands on you. In fact, you're going to be, can you, see, can you even see this boy saying this to his friend? Knowing that he could be king himself, he tells his best friend, you're going to be king of Israel. Even my father knows it's true. Then they both promised the Lord they would always be loyal to each other. You know, when we read the story of David, we all want to be David, right? We all want to slay the giant. We all want to be trusted with the little in the shepherd's field and believe that God's going to give us much as the king. We all want to have that talent that puts us in front of everyone. You know, David played the harp so skillfully that the, the palace hired him to be the musician. We all want to, and, and being a David is part of our destiny, but where are the Jonathans? You know, being a Jonathan is also an equal part of your destiny. Where are the people that are not looking for themselves to be king, but they're looking to find somebody else they can push into their destiny, they can promote, they can help somebody else fulfill their dreams? Where are those people? Proverbs 17, 17 says a true friend is loyal in good times and in bad. In other words, don't be a fair-weathered friend. I got your back as long as you don't offend me. I'm loyal to you as long as you don't do something I don't like. Where are the friends that stick to each other no matter what's going on in life? Uh, I, I meet with pastors a lot because sometimes the only people we can really talk to are other pastors. And even then we're very guarded because all pastors, we all have pride issues and, you know, whose church is, all this is just, all, anyway. So it's very difficult to have friends, especially for a pastor. And I was thinking, it's the only job in the world that I can think of in which you're required to be good to the people and to serve them and love them and help them and be loyal to them. But at any moment, they can turn their back on you. And that's their prerogative. So they can do that. And I can't do anything about it. In other words, you can, you can go on Facebook. You can say bad things about me all over the Internet. I can't respond because my job requires that I don't respond. You can turn your back on me and we don't like you and you're, you know, you know whatever. And I just have to smile and I love you anyway. It's a very unusual job because you never know if people like you because you're a good pastor or if they like you just because they're your friend and they just like you you know or do you like me because of what I do for you or do you like me because we're actually close and God put us together you never really know and a few months ago someone who I thought was my friend and we you know we work out together and we go out to eat and I sacrifice things for his family and kids to be able to go to school and all this good stuff and I thought we were close and then all of a sudden um, I just get a text you know Something had happened in the school that they just didn't like. And we're leaving. We're gone. We're done. And I thought, I'm not really even part of the school. You know, I can understand if you don't like Derek, because Derek's a jerk. But I'm incredibly, I'm incredibly patient and sweet. I'm so sweet. And, um, and I looked at my text messages when they sent that, you know, we're gone. We're and all the ones before were, we love you, you're the greatest thing ever, thank you so much for all you've done for our family, there's nothing we wouldn't do for you, oh, thank God he brought you in our life, da da da, bye, we're leaving. We're and I thought, do, do we not have a relationship enough we can just talk about it? Even if you leave, can we still be friends? You don't have to go to my church to be my friend, like, where, where's the, and so I was thinking about another one of my best friends is Dan Rare, he's the bald guy with the beard that you see walking around for, um, for, for security and stuff. And, and he's been with me a long time, and years ago, he gave me the best compliment I've ever been told my entire life, and I probably thought about it hundreds of thousands of times. 
he said to me one day, he said, you know, I'm not your friend because you're a good preacher. I'm your friend because I'm your friend. He said, if you work at a gas station, I'd be your friend. If you made horrible mistakes, I'd be your friend. If everyone loves you, I'd be your friend. If everyone hates you, I'd still be your friend. I'm your friend because God put us together. Man, I've held on to that like you would not even believe. To know that somebody just loves me just because they want to love me. I think that's what every friendship is looking for, right? We don't want to walk on eggshells around each other. Oh, no, did I offend you? Did I do something you didn't like? Is this where we're going to part ways? Nobody wants to live like that. There were these two best friends, Jim and Philip. True story. They were the best of friends. They did everything together. They went to high school together. They played sports together. They went to the same college together. After college, they both joined the Marines. They were inseparable. One day on the battlefield in Germany, in the middle of gunfire and bombs and people were dying, it got so bad they were given the orders to retreat. As the men were running back for their lives, Jim noticed that his friend Philip wasn't with him. His heart gripped with fear. He asked permission from the commanding officer to go back into the battle zone. The commander said, no, you're crazy. You can't go back in there. That'd be like committing suicide. No, you're not allowed. Without even missing a beat, Jim turned around, ran back, defying orders. Within a few minutes, the officer saw Jim hobbling back across the field. He had been shot in the leg, and he was carrying a lifeless body in his arms. It was his friend, Philip. The officer screamed at him. He said, I told you not to go. You could have been killed. I knew your friend was already dead. Jim said, no, sir, you were wrong. When I got to Philip, he was still alive. And his last words were, I knew you'd come back for me. Where are the friends when somebody's wounded? We don't kick them while they're down. We don't shoot them and get them out of their misery. We cover them. We go back into the battle zone. We pick them up. We carry them to their healing. Where are those friends? We should be loyal to our friends. We should be loyal to our job. You don't leave a job without giving a two weeks notice. Have some integrity. They hired you. Well, I deserve more money. I deserve this. Who cares? You're loyal. They chose you. You have a, an obligation to have integrity. Uh, uh, be loyal to your country. Who cares who the president is? There are people, even in this room, that have sacrificed, and sacrificed for our freedom and for our country. And you're going to spit in their face by constantly saying bad things about the country and whoever's in charge. Just honor God with it. Just let it go. And listen, and be loyal to your church. Your church is not me, by the way. You're not called to a pastor. You're called to a church family. That means if I'm not here, you're still loyal. That means if I'm living on the moon, you're still loyal. This is your church family. If you hear somebody talking bad about somebody in your church family, you have my permission to kick their, you have my permission to pray for them and to lay hands on them. <coughs> in the most godly way. Point number three for your notes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is listen. <clears throat> you don't have to always give advice. You don't have to know what to say. You don't have to tell them what they're doing wrong. Everyone in the room knows what we're doing wrong. We do something wrong, okay? People just need someone to listen. The faith to just sit there and hear what they have to say. James 1.19, let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to take offense. You'll never know what's inside somebody. You'll never know, you'll never connect to your friends on a level that you could connect unless you're willing to just sit and listen. Just sit and listen. Matthew 18, 15 tells us what to do if a friend hurts you. Fellow believer hurts you, go to him in private, work it out between the two of you. If he listens, that's the goal. 
And, and if you want someone to listen, you have to create an atmosphere of humility. It's not, here's what you did wrong, here's what I don't like. You ask questions. If they listen, you've won back your friend, which is what we should all be doing all the time. If he doesn't listen, try again and again and again. If he still refuses to listen, oh man, we got to treat him like an unbeliever. How do we treat those unbelievers? We just forgive them and give them God's love. There's no, I hate you, you hate me, you know. All the, I'll close with a story. I've, I've told you this story before. I've just never told you it in detail. And I'll give you some details today to kind of help you emphasize, uh, uh, just to help you connect to it. But from age 13 to age 35, <clears throat> I worked in other churches along the Grand Strand doing music and stuff for pastors. I've worked in every denomination from Catholic to charismatic, you know, jumping over pews, praying in pews, kneeling at pews, you know, swinging, I've done everything. So um, I have a lot of uh, good relationships with a lot of the pastors. That they're, most of them are now retired because this was back in the 90s and uh, early 2000s. Um, but one church I worked for, I uh, had this, this the most loving, loving pastor. It was a church of several thousand people. This pastor was very, very successful, and I loved working for him. He was just such a good guy, and he wasn't that good of a preacher. He couldn't teach very well, but because he, he was so kind and good-hearted, everyone just loved him in the church group. And so, um, in fact, this guy, when my son Asher was born with a spinal cord uh, issue at MUSC, he was one of the only people in my life who actually drove, and I can't believe he had, he had a church of thousands of people. He drove all the way to Charleston just to pray for three minutes with my little baby. And, then, and he didn't even know it at the time, but we didn't have money because I wasn't working. We were in the hospital, you know, for three months. But I, um, we didn't have money for food. We were eating like one meal a day. And we didn't have any place to shower, no hotel. We're just laying on the hard floor of the hospital each night not to leave our baby's room. And he just pulled out a wad of cash, just handed me hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Didn't even know I needed it. Great guy. Um, several years ago, he went into a, a mental facility. He had a mental breakdown. And the reason why, and we didn't know it at the time, but when it had come out, we finally knew. He was, uh, let me just say this, he has a beautiful wife and wonderful kids. And being a pastor does not mean you no longer have flesh. Please understand, when someone becomes a pastor, it's like, oh, now I don't battle anything anymore, and I just want to do everything right, you know, and floating on clouds, and life is good. In fact, sometimes it's much more difficult. And he went on a spiritual retreat, something, went some, there was a church thing he went on. But while he was out of town that night, uh, he, there was a homosexual issue that took place, something took place. And this person that he interacted with uh, decided to blackmail him. And so for about a year, year and a half, every day of his life, he did not know when he woke up, is this the day I'm going to be exposed and my whole life's going to come to ruin? Can you imagine the anxiety and stress knowing that any day you wake up, your deepest, darkest, most horrible sin is going to be told to the world? And it's not like he worked at McDonald's. It's not like he worked, you know, at, at a gas station. He was a pastor of several thousand people. This person was blackmailing, like, uh, send me $5,000 and I won't tell anybody. And he did it. And then the next month, now I need $2,000. And the next month, now I need $3,000. So this, is, this took place in this guy's life about a year, year and a half. Finally, it all came out. And the day it came out, I didn't know it had come out, but I just happened to be at church, at that church that day. It was a Monday. And I was walking by his office, and I saw this 50-year-old man who I greatly respected sobbing uncontrollably. I mean, couldn't even take his breath, just sobbing in his office. I thought, what's going on? 
And his best friend happened to be in there. And everyone in the church knew this is his best friend. And his best friend is actually somebody who was famous around here uh, back in the 90s. I won't say his name, but he was on TV and things like that. And the friend was just saying the most horribly abusive things to the pastor. I mean, F-bombing him and calling him names, and you're going to burn in hell, and when everybody finds this out, you're going to lose everything. What kind of loser would do this? I mean, just on and on and on he went. Knowing he's just spent a year feeling tremendous guilt every day of his life, and this is what his friend's doing for him. The next day, on Tuesday is the day I actually found out about it. The way I found out was through a story. Um, he decided to fill his car up with gasoline cans all through his car. And he soaked his car inside and out with gasoline. And he soaked himself with gasoline. And he was in a, a psychotic daze, just like a zombie. He pulled on the side of the road over here in the bypass near the red light at, at Myrtle Waves. And he had a lighter in his hand. And he was about to pay for his sins by setting himself on fire in the middle of Myrtle Beach. And the red light just so happened. Two of his church members were there, husband and wife. And they saw him on the side of the road and thought, oh, his car must have broke down. You know something? So they jumped out, they smelled the gas, and they saw him soaked. And before he could, you know, do the lighter, they pulled him out, and he just was laying there like a zombie. Didn't even know where he was at what was going on. He ended up going to a mental facility. He lost all of his friends, you know, lost his church and everything. When he got out, three months later, I heard he got out, and so I just sent him a text. And I thought, he don't even, you know, he's not thinking about me, and I'm the least of all the people that know him. He's got way more friends in his life. And... I just said, would you like to meet for lunch sometime? And I thought, oh, he's not going to respond. Within seconds, you want to go to K&W tomorrow? I said, now K&W is this restaurant down over here that we actually thought for years it stood for Canes and Walkers. But it doesn't stand for that. <laughs> because all the young people that are healthy eat there. And so we went to K&W cafeteria. And um, I had no faith for wisdom. I had no faith for options. I had no faith for encouragement. I didn't know what, what do you say? What do you say in something like that? I didn't know what to say, so I just sat there and I just listened. And he shared his fears. He shared his worries. He shared his pain. He shared his anger. He shared his sins. And I just listened. When we got done, I thought, oh, this was such a big mistake. He's not going to want to talk to me anymore. I'm a waste of his time. As we were leaving, he said, can we do this next week? I said, yeah, sure, we can do it next week. For the next three months, every single week, like clockwork, we met at KMW, and I just listened. After three months, his wife came back, and they decided to reconcile. Within a few weeks after that, he got a call from a big church up in North Carolina who hired him to be the senior pastor. Today he's restored, his family's back together, and his life is great, and he's helping people. Now, All I had the faith to do was listen. So that's all I had. That's enough. That's more than enough. Proverbs 1 5 a wise man will hear and listen and increase in learning and understanding. Sometimes people just need to be heard. I cannot write my life story without including you. You can't write your life story without including me. We've been divinely linked together, whether for a season, or for a lifetime with one purpose, and that is to have faith for our friends. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's go to the...